Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Back on the College Football Survivor Show, Doug and Shahan. As we record this, Pat Fitzgerald has been fired as Northwestern coach. It's a Big Ten preview. We've done the Big 12, we've done the SEC, we've done the ACC. This is the Big Ten. And so we'll touch on the firing of Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern during the course of this show. You guys know what happened. We don't know what the final resolution is going to be for the program, but you guys know what happened. We will touch on it, but we want to start off with talking about the playoff, which is not a conversation that Northwestern was going to be part of anyway, Sean. So as we do this on these conference playoff previews, we start with how many contenders do we think there are in a conference? How many do you think there are in the Big Ten, Sean? So two are no-brainers. Two literally made the playoff last year. Uh, obviously Michigan made it the year before that Ohio state made it the year before that and played in the national championship game found my timeline. Right. So like two are obvious. I think that at this point though, we can also throw Penn state on the list. Their path is pretty difficult, but I think is possible. I will also say, I feel like I would feel a little better about throwing Penn state into this. If, we were in the first year of the divisional setup or the non-divisional setup rather where one V two play in the title game. The fact that all three of these teams are playing in the big 10 East is kind of crazy, but like that's the game. And so I, I think that there are three teams right now, you know, look, you look at the, the rest of the conference. I mean, could Wisconsin have a really nice up year? Maybe could Iowa have a good year? Sure. I don't think they can get into the playoff caliber level and uh, and really compete in a four-team playoff. So this is primarily a Penn State conversation, I think, because as you know, we're not going to come on here and completely ignore Michigan and Ohio State because they were two of the four playoff teams last year. But I also think it's three, and I think there's no doubt about it. I think if Penn State was in the Big 12, they might be the Big 12 favorite. I think if Penn State was in the Pac-12, as good as the Pac-12 is, I don't know if they'd be the favorite in a league that has Caleb Williams playing quarterback, but man, they would be right at the top of that very strong Pac-12 top five conversation. And I, I think Penn State is very comparable to a team like Clemson this year. And Clemson in our ACC preview is right at the top. It's Clemson and Florida State, and that's what that conference is about. So as we think about playoff contenders, you have to put Penn State in context of 
Ohio State, Michigan. Because you can't, in a four-team playoff, you can't go around Michigan and Ohio State to get to the playoff. You got to go through them. In a 12-team playoff, you could go around them. Be like, congratulations, Ohio State, Michigan. You guys have a great year. Good luck. We'll see you in the playoff. That's not how this is going to be. But when you think about Penn State, when you think about Kalen King at cornerback, might be the best cornerback in the Big Ten. Chop Robinson on the defensive line is probably as good as any edge rusher in the Big Ten. Like Jason Newton at Illinois obviously is an All-American level player and JT Tuimolo out of Ohio State. But Chop Robinson is legit. Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs at linebacker, I think are as good as any linebacker pairing in the Big Ten. Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen at running back. I think Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards at Michigan are the best running back combo in the country. I think everybody thinks that. I think Singleton and Allen are right in the next tier. They are they are then as good as anybody outside of Michigan. Olu Fushanu at left tackle for Penn State, maybe outside of Joe Alt at Notre Dame, right? I mean, is is there a better left tackle in the country? He's as good as anybody. He would have been a first-round pick if he had... Lineman, I think you could make the argument, yeah. And then they always got skill, guys, right? So, like, I, they're not lacking anything. And then the question is, are you a year early on Drew Aller at quarterback, who as a true freshman last year played a little bit in relief of Sean Clifford, had his moments here and there, was not used as much as J.J. McCarthy was as a freshman at Michigan. I don't think it's incredibly dissimilar, though, that he he got his feet wet the way J.J. McCarthy did. And then we saw what J.J. McCarthy did last year for Michigan. And J.J. McCarthy did not have to lead Michigan. And I think the conversation here is as excited as people are about Drew Aller and what his potential is, and really in a lot of ways, that's a 2024 conversation. I don't think Drew Aller has to lead Penn State into the playoff mix because they have all these other things. They have a run game. I think they have an offensive line besides Olu Fashanu. They have a bunch of guys back. They had some injuries last year. That means a lot of guys got experience. They have a lot of starts back on that offensive line. They have a really good defense run by Manny Diaz, the former head coach at Miami. Like this is a real team top to bottom, Shahan, with a young quarterback with huge upside who does not snap to snap have to drag this team to victories against Ohio State and Michigan. So I don't have any doubt about Penn State as a playoff contender. The only doubt is, well, you've got Ohio State and Michigan in the same division, and you're not going to get three teams in the playoff. But I think talent-wise, I I think Penn State's maybe one of the best six teams in the country. They just happen to be maybe the third best team in their own division. Am I over... I am, Am I overshooting Penn State here the way maybe you thought I overshot Florida State? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think what Penn State did win 11 last year, right? They were at 10-11. Their only losses were to Ohio State Michigan. I think that coming into the season and saying they're as good as anybody who's not those two teams, I think that was true last year. And they're going to be better this year I think in a lot of ways uh you mentioned obviously moving to Drew Aller at quarterback that's going to be something that people have an eye on it might be a year early in terms of them being legit 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 like beat Ohio State and Michigan level good but it's absolutely going to be compete with Ohio State and Michigan level good and you get Michigan at home pretty late in the year I, I like that part about it it's funny like when I project Penn State I'm always just like well, the defense is going to be good, right? They they just have a machine over there. It is just year in, year out. 
I ignore who they lose. It does not matter because they continue to put out these top level players at linebacker and especially at the defensive back, right? So they're really solid. This is probably even for them an up year on the defensive side of the ball in terms of top end talent. The one thing that I wish, I wish that Parker Washington was back one, because I think he'd be a really good fit next to this. And two, also, I mean, he didn't get drafted that high, right? Like this was very much a, well, you know, why don't I try getting drafted? Parker Washington, who was their best receiver last year and would be probably as good as any receiver in the big 10 this year out of the Ohio state outside of the Ohio state big two, if he came back and instead he went into the NFL draft. Yeah. Six round pick. Uh, You know, I, I think that he's, a more quality player than that. And I do think, you know, one of the things is I feel like there are legitimate things he could have done to improve his draft stock. Being 5'10 is not something that he's going to improve on, but I, I do think that he could have added production. I do think that he could have improved as a route runner. So like, I wish that Parker Washington was back. I don't know that it would be enough to definitively say they're going to beat Ohio state or Michigan just because Parker Washington's coming back. But I do think it would have raised their ceiling a little bit, but no, I mean, Let's let's use this comparison, right? I think that heading into the year, if this team was in the SEC West, I think that I might pick them to win in the SEC West over Alabama and over LSU. Now, part of that is because I think Alabama and LSU are somewhat flawed. We've had this conversation on the SEC show a few weeks ago, but I think that the floor for this team is incredibly high, and I would love to see them play a schedule week to week that maybe challenges them. That's going to be one of the complications with this team is that they do play Ohio State and Michigan, two of the best teams, you know, again, you're talking about two of the six best teams in the country, or sorry, three of the six best teams in the country, potentially. And then outside of those two games, it's kind of like some dudes. Like it's not like I was good, but like, that's kind of it. Like, is, is there another game that you feel like we're going to learn much about Penn State other than those two big games? Well, we'll get to the games okay. in a second. I, I do, if, if people are listening to this and thinking that we are overrating Penn State, the last seven years at Penn State, okay, in the 2020 COVID season, they had a goofy year, just like Michigan did. That was we we know it is a is a goofy year. I I thought that maybe the pandemic and that COVID season would show like which teams had cracks and who couldn't overcome things. And I think maybe I was wrong on that because Indiana was good in the COVID year, and it turns out Indiana is not a good football program. And Michigan and Penn State were terrible in the COVID year. They both lost to Indiana, and it turns out Michigan and Penn State both are good football programs. It's maybe just throw it out. Okay, so Penn State in the COVID year was four and five. Then in 2021, the year after the COVID year, Penn State is a top five team in the country, and they are playing a three versus four game at Iowa. They start off five and zero. They are at Iowa in a three versus four game, and Sean Clifford, their starting quarterback, gets hurt, and they don't have a backup quarterback, and their backup quarterback situation is atrocious. Now that's on them. You got to have a backup quarterback. It's not bad luck to not have a backup Please quarterback. Please do not disrespect UConn what? star Jaquan Roberson like that. Jaquan no, Roberson I, like that. Future Big 12 star Jaquan Roberson <laughs> at UConn. So, like, that's on them. You don't get a free pass on that. 
But the result is they're five and zero, oh, and then they only win two of their final nine games. Right? They they end up being terrible. But if Sean Clifford had stayed healthy, when Sean Clifford was healthy, they were top five team. So that's a terrible year. They're seven and six. Okay. I mean, also, again, in fairness to their quarterback depth, one of their uh, backup quarterbacks was busy eating whole bananas with mayonnaise uh, at the University of Kentucky. Is that a euphemism? No, that's what okay. well, that's what Will Levis did. I didn't know. I didn't know what that I don't know how the kids talk these days. Yeah, man. It's like, oh, man, I, man, I feel like I've been eating a whole banana with mayonnaise, if you know what I'm saying. Like, I don't know what that means that he ate a banana with mayonnaise. So he his two things were he would eat bananas with the peel and he would put mayonnaise into his coffee instead of creamer. And everybody was like, why are you doing this? We didn't ask to know this. And uh, they kept playing it over and over again on the SEC network. I, I don't want to know about that. So Will Levis Wright, who was a former Penn State backup quarterback, had been like a wrinkle quarterback behind Sean Clifford, transfers to Kentucky, has a big year. People thought he was going to be a first-round pick, winds up being a second-round pick of the Tennessee Titans. So, yeah, they get they get squeezed. Listen, Ohio State had no backup quarterback in 2019. If Justin Fields had gotten hurt, Penn, Ohio State might have had a terrible year. Instead, Justin Fields stayed healthy, and they went to the playoff. So the point is, they have two bad years in the last seven, but they're very – explainable one's a covid one's a quarterback situation and like they're better there right they have some guys behind drew now that they like here are their other five years 11 and 3 11 and 2 9 and 4 11 and 2 11 and 2 last year they finished 7th 8th 17th 9th and 7th in the country so if you throw out the two goofy years the other last five seasons they've had they've been a top 10 team four of the five seasons playing with Ohio State and Michigan. So if you think we're overrating them by saying, I don't know, we think Penn State might be better than Bama. We think Penn State might be better than Clemson. We think Penn State might be one of the six best teams in the country. They finished in the top 10 for the last five years that were normal for them, and this is a normal year because there's not a pandemic. <laughs> Can you please? And their quarterback play should be elevated. So anyway... That's why we're talking about them this way. I think if we did a podcast, Shahan, about the most underrated, the most misunderstood, the most mis- the most overlooked, whatever, college football programs in the country, I think Penn State, for the fact that they're a traditional power, they're a blue blood, they've won national championships, they're a football first program, they're in a major conference, they play on major TV, you know, this is not a... Wake Forest discussion, but I think in their own way, I'm not sure that everybody in the country realizes how good this program is. And so when we're talking about them, I don't think we're talking about to be a contender is just to be who they've been. To make the playoff would be something they have not been. But in the mix, they're an in the mix team. Right. And I think the other part of this too is the conversation around James Franklin to me has always been a little weird because there's such a focus on the the shortcomings at times but I don't think that there's enough real conversation about like the baseline that he said you know you mentioned all these teams that uh, that just played at Penn State where they were a top 10 team for essentially five straight years without uh, not taking into account again the weird situation that they were kind of in with the pandemic and 
at Vanderbilt. He did things that nobody had really ever done. I think that people think, oh, this guy's just like a recruiter. He's a bad game manager. And like he has his issues game managing for sure. But like, I think he's a much better football coach, too, than he actually gets credit for. He consistently puts out really good assistant coaches, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, the, uh, Brent Pry was somebody who was with him for a long time, who's now a head coach at Virginia Tech. Anthony Poindexter was somebody who was tapped to potentially be a candidate at Virginia and things didn't work out. Manny Diaz is a former head coach and long was considered one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. I really like the Mike Yersich hire. I think he's been a good fit. Uh, you know, the, the Kirk Soraka thing didn't work, but like, that was a chance worth taking after what he did at Minnesota. And so like, I think he's a good, smart coach and he just hasn't been Ohio state and Michigan. And I don't want to like, this is, I, I don't want to get too far into this discussion, but like, I do think that, you know, when you look at Penn state, I don't think that after the scandal and after Bill O'Brien, there was like some guarantee that they were just going to get back to being mm. nationally competitive. Like they had been nationally competitive under one coach and he was an all time coach. One of the greatest coaches on the field that we've ever seen in this sport. But like there wasn't a guarantee. I, I think that people assume like, well, of course, Penn State was good for a long time. Yeah, because they had one of the greatest coaches ever. And the fact that another coach has come in, not only rebounded, but in some ways uh, in the modern era elevated, you know, versus what was happening in the decade before. I mean, I, I think he deserves a little bit more credit than than he gets. You know, one thing to look at, too, you know, I've mentioned the SP plus rankings before over at ESPN. They put basically they take a number of factors and they essentially create a number to to judge a team versus an average FBS team. Right. So if you're a 0.0 SP plus, that means that you are an average SP plus team. Well, Penn State ranks number eight at 23 and a half. They're right there, essentially, with USC at 23.6 and Tennessee at 23.9. And they're also being pulled down a little bit because of those two weird seasons, because it does take into account recent uh, success. So could like I don't think it's I don't think it's weird at all to say that Penn State is the top six team in the country. I think that's frankly, pretty normal. And Alabama and LSU kind of have the opposite thing where their recent success maybe goes the other direction and helps them in a way that maybe isn't accurate for this upcoming season. So like all that to say, yes, Penn State is a contender. The path is going to be tough. They have to play both Ohio State and Michigan and they have to not mess up along the way like they did last year. So I don't know. Let's see what happens. Let's see if that upside is really there. So we don't want to make it only a Penn State show, but I want to ask this last question of you. Is there anything that Michigan has done the past two seasons that we should believe Penn State can't do? Because listen, here's the thing. You don't have to be Ohio State. You don't have to be the most consistent winning program in the country, right? You don't have to recruit at Ohio State's level, right? You just have to try to beat them one Saturday a year. So the question to me is not, can Penn State be Ohio State? But when you see what Michigan has done, and this is not taking anything away from Michigan. But it's not like Michigan suddenly is equal to Ohio State in recruiting. They're just beating Ohio State on the field. When you see what Michigan's done, can Penn State do that? The big question that I have about them is, can you create the level of offensive line play that Michigan has created? Because I think Sharon Moore is a top three offensive line coach in the country and maybe higher. But outside of that, 
and that's that's not a no. That's not to say that they can't. It's just it's just I think a lot to ask. But outside of that, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think so. I, I mean, I think that they've done a really good job. Uh, they have a really good offensive line coach too, Phil Troutwin, right? Like so, and they can do this stuff. They absolutely can be at that level. They absolutely can compete. The fact that they have to go through both Michigan and Ohio State at the peak of their powers makes things a little more complicated. But I don't know. And and <laughs> look, I like Drew Aller as a prospect better than I liked JJ McCarthy as a prospect. Right? I, I am not somebody who fully believes in the JJ McCarthy thing yet. So I think there's also upside from that perspective as well. So. Sure, I, I think that's definitely possible, especially when you start to look to 2024 when you've got a second-year Drew Aller. Okay, it's not just a Penn State podcast. We don't want to take these teams for granted. The way you view Ohio State right now, in a discussion like this, is a, when the question is, who are the playoff contenders in the Big Ten? Is Ohio State just a blind yes at this point? And is Michigan a blind yes after making the playoff the last two years I feel like it's okay if we – I've said we've all – I think this is going to be the best version of Michigan. If Michigan's been a playoff team the last two years, I think when you look at what they have, when you look at J.J. McCarthy back, when you look at Blake Corum staying in school, pairing him with Donovan Edwards at running back, when you look at some of the transfers they brought in on the offensive line, when you look at retaining Jesse Minter as their defensive coordinator, Sharon Moore as the offensive coordinator, everything he does with the offensive line – Junior Colson at linebacker, good guys up front, Will Johnson and good guys in the secondary. I believe in Michigan, I think almost as much as I believe in Ohio State. And they're both kind of blind yeses to me at this point. We'll talk more about them, but is that like a, a tip of the cap? Like, hey, man, like we didn't spend a ton of time on Georgia <laughs> and the discussion <laughs> because like, well, they're Georgia. Now they're the national champs. But in their own way, are Ohio State and Michigan like sure thing contenders? I mean, look, when, when you look at Ohio State over the past two decades at least, and really most of their history, if they are not in this conversation, then like they should probably fire their coach. That That's just like, that's what Ohio State is. And that's what they've been consistently, especially post Jim Tressel is obviously what you'd probably say. And so, yeah, they're, they're an auto yes. I, I almost don't think there's any context that can take that away short of basically the Jim Trestle thing that happened back a decade ago. You know, Michigan's a little bit more situational, I'd say, but like situationally right now, yes, they are an auto. Yes. With what they bring back with the coaching staff that they have with what Jim Harbaugh is doing. I think that they are absolute no brainer. Yeses. And, and I do think, look, they, they lost a couple of their best defensive players and we're still kind of not really questioning them, that's a compliment to what Michigan has done in recent years. Okay. We've established the contenders. Who might be a spoiler in the Big Ten? We'll do that next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So, Shahama, we talked about the ACC. We spent a lot of time on Clemson and Florida State, and we're sort of like, ah. 
we know you like Wisconsin. When we did our Dark Horse conversation on a separate pod, you mentioned Wisconsin there. I don't think we can call Wisconsin a spoiler. Wisconsin is the favorite in the Big Ten West in the last year that the Big Ten West is going to exist. Wisconsin does host Ohio State in an important game. Wisconsin's going to have its shot. So then who, like, who could mess this up? And I'm particularly intrigued when you think about the four other teams in the East, Michigan State, Maryland, Rutgers, and Indiana. Is there somebody that can that can steal one there that messes up this top three in the East? Again, a year ago, it, it didn't happen. So Penn State lost to Ohio State, Michigan. Ohio State lost to Michigan, and like that was it. Or is there some other team in the West? It's We've talked about Wisconsin. We could talk about Wisconsin more. I think they're too good to be a spoiler, but they're also not at the level of the top three. So who's a spoiler? That's interesting, though. I, I'm i curious. Do you kind of view them as like a no-brainer favorite in the West, Wisconsin? I do. I think I view them that way traditionally with what the West has been. And I think I view them that way specifically this year. We need to talk about Wisconsin with Luke Fickle, an established, winning, successful head coach who seems like a cultural fit there. With Phil Longo as the new offensive coordinator, that seems like a really good hire that's going to modernize that offense. With Braylon Allen in a world where Michigan has two great guys and Penn State has two great guys and Ohio State has two great guys, Wisconsin also has two great guys. With Malucci as the backup to Braylon Allen, I think Braylon Allen's upside is still gigantic at running back. And then with Tanner Mordecai at quarterback, I will be surprised if Wisconsin's not in the Big Ten championship game. Yes, Iowa could maybe factor in there. Yes, Minnesota, I think, is a better program under P.J. Fleck in recent years than people realize. Yes, I believe in Brett Bielema at Illinois. I don't think it's a slam dunk, but I think Wisconsin's the favorite. But I think then that is back to what the Big Ten has been, which is, oh, that's not, I mean, Wisconsin will probably win the West. But I mean, I don't know. Come on, man. Like, what are we doing here? Right. So, I mean, like, that's just. That's just where we are with the Big Ten East and West. So what do you call Wisconsin? I mean, I guess they could be a spoiler if they can somehow win the Big Ten championship game against one of these three teams from the East or if they knock off Ohio State. But actually, they're supposed to be good. Wisconsin should probably win 10 games. Like, they're supposed to be good. But then I don't know where else to go. Maryland, Talia Tonga-Vailoa is back as Maryland's quarterback for like a ninth year. He's a veteran dude. Mike Loxley has things, I think, running very well. At Maryland, when you think about, and I've done this with most of the other conferences, I didn't get quite as detailed in the Big Ten. You think about returning quarterbacks. It's J.J. McCarthy at Michigan. It's Talia Tonga-Vailoa at Maryland. It's Gavin Wimsat, who was like a big-time recruit at Rutgers. Is still a young guy. It's Aylin Kalikinalop. Ah, I apologize to the Minnesota quarterback. He's one. He's like the only non-transfer quarterback in the Big Ten West, and I have trouble with his last name. You'll find him. <laughs> But then they have a bunch, like there's so many, you know, Kyle McCord at Ohio State is going to be a new quarterback. Drew Eller at Penn State's a new quarterback. Noah Kim should be the guy at Michigan State. Peyton Thorne transferred. Agent King, baby. There's so many. <laughs> That's like your second thing. Texas, Texas, this is a playoff <laughs> well, show. And we I got, love it. We got Asian. Asian Kings to like be happy about now. Like Tyler Buckner's out here. Noah Kim's out Listen, if I can toss that in there, I will. It has been very difficult for the vast majority of my football covering career. I believe it. I believe it. We'll do a pot on that. And so <laughs> you think about like basically everybody in the West except Minnesota is starting a transfer. Taven Jackson from Tennessee should be the Indiana starter. Tanner Mordecai 
from SMU should be the Wisconsin starter. Cade McNamara, the former Michigan quarterback, should be the Iowa starter. Luke Altmeyer, formerly of Old Miss, should be the Illinois starter. Jeff Sims, formerly of Georgia Tech, should be the Nebraska starter. Ben Bryant, formerly of Cincinnati, should be the Northwestern starter. And Hudson Card, formerly of Texas, should be the Purdue starter. But like, t- who is? But like, tell me somebody. Tell me somebody that's really going to do something. That's really going to upset the apple cart in there. I like Brett Bielema's ability at Illinois to just be goofy and squeeze out a 9-6 win against somebody. But but I don't know, man. It feels like a big three, a very solid one in the West, and then a lot of, I'm not sure. So this conference is like crazy top-heavy. I don't think that that's new, but I think it might be uniquely true this year. Although last year it was also pretty crazily top-heavy. If Wisconsin's off the board, which I think is a reasonable take, I'm going to go with Purdue. Purdue, in general, is a team of chaos, of course. They get Wisconsin at home. So if we're talking about the Big Ten title race, I think that they could throw some weirdness into there. That's going to be Wisconsin's first Big Ten game uh, under Luke Fickle. They do play Washington State earlier in the year, so it's not their first real game. But it's their first big game, for sure. The other thing about Purdue, they get both Ohio State and Michigan, Ohio State at home in week seven, Michigan on the road in week 10. So getting both of those teams, I think, is always going to be significant to playing spoiler. And they have a quarterback in Hudson Card, who I think has become very undervalued because of what was coming next at Texas, because of the Quinn Ewers coming in, because of the Arch Manning coming in. But if you look at Hudson Card's numbers last year, They were pretty dang solid. He did a good job. He's a solid football player. I think from a talent perspective, he's potentially an upgrade on Aiden O'Connell, who was a really good player for them. And so, look, it's a first-year coach in Ryan Walters. It's a first-year offense coordinator in Graham Harrell. But, like, let's see some weirdness, man. Let's see some weirdness. Purdue always is good for one weird game a year. And I would love for one of them to come against Ohio State in week seven or Michigan in week 11. Ethan Kaliak Manus. Be a professional, Doug. That's the Minnesota quarterback. I apologize. <laughs> be a professional. Be a professional. The, the whole country of Greece is punching air right now, man. They, they, they are not happy. Instead of prepping this morning, I went to the re-grand opening of the new Duncan in my town. And when they did the soft open, they gave you two free donuts and a free drink. And I missed it. My daughter went to that. But this was the (laughs) official grand opening, even though they've been open for like six weeks. So we were like, I don't know. So there was a person on stilts. There was a person in a donut costume. And then the person in the donut costume went into the bathroom. And we were making a lot of jokes about like (laughs) what... I was like, I would not want to be the next person in there after the donut. Um, you just go in and there's just sprinkles all over the bowl, right? I mean, it's just, you know, it's just like donut. You know how donut, I, blue donut humor. So instead of prepping, I went to get the donut. And then we didn't get anything. I got a, we, we spun a wheel to try to win something. I won a lanyard. I have 4,000 lanyards. I'm a, a sports lanyard? They, they gave a sports writer a lanyard? <laughs> all I have are lanyards. Now I have a Dunkin' Donuts lanyard. So anyway... That's instead of prepping, I was like, I know the Big Ten. I'll just wing it. I really want to go. But I thought I might get a free donut. I didn't get anything free. I didn't get any free food. I had to buy donuts. So anyway, Ethan Kaliak Manis, my donut 
I can't I explain it, but this is such a Midwestern story. This I, I don't know why. I, I it's just yeah. We woke up and uh, you know I had work, but I, we had to go to the donut store first, and uh, I, there, there was a guy with stilts. I, I I don't know. It's just like is this just what living in yeah. the Midwest is like? Like it just feels like it is. It's like we had a, we we had a pre grand opening, but now is the real grand opening of uh of the donut store. The <laughs> of, whole town the turned bitch. out. <laughs> the whole town turned out. And uh, you know, yeah, I, I, we had a barn raising. It was great. I told my ki- my family, like I said, we're, we're going on two family vacations this summer. The first one was to Europe, and the second one was to Duncan. So, like, that's <laughs> this was our. It was a, we all got up, <laughs> all four of us. My we all we didn't we went dirty. We didn't shower. We were like, we can't, we can't miss this. They had a giant check. They're gonna give give a check to somebody. They're they're gonna cut a ribbon. It really. Well, we can't miss this. Uh, who knows if they'll have donuts tomorrow? <laughs> I really should have tried. We should have broadcast live from the College Football <laughs> Survivor Show, coming to you live from the grand reopening. Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> I ate a donut that said "We're open" in frosting <laughs> on the donut. It tasted the same, but it said "We're open." <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, so I apologize. That's middle, why I wasn't as prepared. Middle-aged life podcast. sounds crazy, man. I don't know. Oh, man. It's, it was the highlight of my week. Okay. So anyway, so I just – it's very hard to try to zero in on this. It's like could Bielema – Bielema gets Penn State. Illinois gets Penn State in week three. That could be interesting. But I really do think it's just about the top of this. It's the it's about the three-way battle in the East, and it's probably going to be Wisconsin in the West, and we'll see what happens in the Big Ten title game. So let's talk about the three most important games – on the schedule. And I don't know that we can get away from the round Robin. So it is Penn state at Ohio state on October 21st. Then it is Michigan at Penn state on November 11th. And then of course it is Ohio state at Michigan on the last Saturday, of the regular season on November 25th, those three games, Shahan, what do you think of the possibility of that winding up Everybody wins one, everybody loses one. And then all of a sudden we're getting into tiebreakers and the tiebreakers are going to determine who goes to the Big Ten championship game. And that's going to have a great impact on the playoff race. It could get messy in here, but I will say one of the things, James Franklin in his career is three and six against Michigan and one and eight against Ohio State. So Penn State has not won these games a ton but if penn state can get one here it really has a chance to make the big 10 east super interesting super complicated have a huge impact on the playoff race what do you think about how this might shake out with the and i think these i mean i think they have to be the three biggest games on the schedule oh i mean i don't i don't want to be disrespectful to the rest of the big 10 but like, I don't think you really need to watch much else other than those three <laughs> games this year, because, yeah. again, if, if one of these teams loses a game that's not one of these games, then it's like it's like a failure. It's like a disaster. And, uh, you know, again, not to be I love me some Talia. I think that like I'm, I think watching Nebraska is going to be kind of fun this year under Matt Rule. But like th- there are three teams there. There are three teams that are real teams in the Big Ten this year. And so I think that you have to have all three of those on your radar. I've got my eye real close on that Penn State versus Michigan game in week 11. It's played at Penn State. 
that's, I think, a tricky one for for Michigan. I think that, you know, look, we haven't seen J.J. McCarthy be consistently at his, as his best as a passer. And the fact that that happens late in the season gives me some optimism that Drew Aller might really be comfortable by that point, right? And so, I don't know. I, I think that that's a game that I will definitely have circled. If we end up in a position where it's 11-1 and one versus 11-1 and one versus 11-1, and one, first of all, I think that the Big Ten will then get two teams into the playoff. Like, I, I do think that they will. The, the thing, we talked about this on the ACC show, is that if you play a Big Ten title game that features 1v2, then that means that you pick one from that group. Like, it means that there's a team that emerges. In this group, it's basically like, you know, we, we always talk about the Big Ten. They don't do a preseason media poll or all this sort of thing because they don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. This is basically the Big Ten saying, oh, you're all nice. Can, can we let all of them play? And uh, and that's basically the case that they're going to make to the college football playoff committee. And it worked last year, right? It, mm-hmm. it worked last yeah. year getting two teams in. Now, again, when we get to a 12-team a playoff, this changes and the Big Ten is changing with it. I like the timing of the fact that they're moving to 1v2 coinciding with the start of the playoff. I think that's the right move and I think that makes a lot of sense. But I think that there's absolutely a chance that we're looking at an 11 and 1 versus 11 and 1 versus 11 and 1, though Penn State has to hold up their part of the bargain. And I think that it does come in the form of beating Michigan in week 11. And it's, I think that will be Michigan's. 10th game of the season at Penn State on November 11th. In Michigan's first nine games, I guess the best team they play is Minnesota. It's either Minnesota, Michigan State, or Purdue. Like, they play nobody. We've talked about the Michigan schedule at length on various podcasts, so we don't have to go deep into this here. But they just, they don't play anybody in the non-conference. And Don't sleep on East Carolina. Don't okay. sleep on the the pirates that because that might actually be one of the best teams that they play in their in their first nine games, which is more of a statement about their first nine games. So it it's just like we're not we're gonna we're not gonna know for sure about Michigan, honestly. Like I think Michigan might be nine and oh number one in the country playing Penn State. And sure. I and I don't know I, I don't know that we're gonna know for sure exactly what like other than like, hey. We've seen it the last two years in the playoff, but it's just that, that Penn State and Penn State will have played Ohio State by then and we'll have seen Drew Aller develop. Michigan is a lot like Georgia this year, at least in t- except Georgia doesn't get anybody ever until the SEC title game. Michigan's going to get through nine games and then two of their last three games are against two of the best six teams in the country, Penn State and Ohio State. So anyway, keep your eye on that. Let's talk about off the radar games that matter and let's have a discussion about Northwestern. So the game that I put on here is Iowa at Northwestern in Wrigley Field on November 4th, which is Northwestern's done this a little bit over the years. They play a game in Wrigley Field. You know, you're catching touchdown passes and bouncing off the brick walls and the ivy and everybody loves it and it's cool. Northwestern is a mess and it is not to make light of the very serious um, things found in Northwestern's report about hazing at Northwestern, but Man, oh man, it takes Iowa off the hook. Like, if you thought Iowa was the biggest mess of the Big Ten, they're doing what? The AD's quitting? What? The coach's kid has to score 25 points a game? And Northwestern was like, wait, here's a something. 
So Iowa at Northwestern, this is a mess for Northwestern. This whole season is going to be a mess. But this could be, we don't know who the head coach, as we record this, who the head coach at Northwestern is going to be. We don't know what their staff is going to be like. It's going to be a lost year in Northwestern, which might be a chance for Brian Ferentz, who now has to score 25 points a game, average 25 points a game to keep his job. He might want to be dropping a 50 spot on the Wildcats in Wrigley, Shahan. This is a huge opportunity for what we thought was the biggest mess in the Big Ten to maybe beat up on what now is the biggest mess in the Big Ten. Maybe you should focus on dropping a 26 cat before he gets uh, over his skis with this one. Um, no, it's it's an interesting game, right? Because these are two of the, uh, before yesterday, you know, we're recording this Tuesday morning, two of the longest tenured coaches in college football, two of the most consistent programs in the Big Ten Conference. And I think that you're right. I mean, this is, I, I think that this game has so many outside storylines just because of what happened. By the way, I feel like in this whole Pat Fitzgerald thing, especially with some of the allegations of, you know, at times, uh, you know, racism within the team culture that came out, especially in the 2000s, we kind of glossed over the fact that a lot of this stuff was also alleged under Kirk Ferentz at Iowa. And he kind of just moved on. I don't know. That I, I, it's such a strange situation. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to talk too much on the Fitzgerald thing right now because it's still developing. And also, this might be dated by the time that you're hearing this. But, you know, I, it does feel like if they had been just a little bit more forward about what happened and work through some of the details and ask Pat Fitzgerald to apologize for specific things, maybe this goes a different direction. But I don't know. I mean, in two different ways, like these programs have handled these things in such bizarre ways. And I will soon have a new athletic director. So, you know, we'll see if they handle it a little different. But it's an interesting game. Like you said, it's a Wrigley game. There's going to be some eyeball eyeballs on this game. I don't think that there's necessarily another awesome game in the Big Ten that's going to be going up against it. So this is probably going to be the game where we have the conversation about both of these teams nationally, about obviously what happened at Northwestern and what they do next, and also the Brian Ferentz conversation, the Iowa conversation, the Kirk Ferentz conversation, the Gary Barta conversation. Like, this is probably all going to be happening in Week 10. Iowa and Northwestern have played great games against each other. They're 8-8 eight and eight in the last 16. I think That's nine crazy. of those six. I think nine of those 16 have been one-score games. Like, they play low-scoring games. They play high-scoring games. It's always tight. Um, I am particularly aware of this because my wife and I went to Northwestern, and my wife is from Iowa, and her whole family's Iowa fans. So my wife is constantly giving my father-in-law. They give each other. So the Iowa-Northwestern game is on our radar. So I just think there are there are some lessons here. Northwestern is completely mismanaged. As, as people know, completely mismanaged the situation. There's two stories. It wound up being a two-story thing at Northwestern. One is the very serious hazing allegations, and that is what led to the firing of Pat Fitzgerald. And then the secondary story is the absolute mismanagement by the Northwestern president, the Northwestern administration, the athletic director, everybody that goes from a two-week suspension on a Friday to a firing on a Monday when most of the facts were known. Oh, and like, what happened? It's public perception. It's public pressure. And if you handle it better... You know, the first time around, maybe that maybe you don't wind up where you wind up. So which I, I think would have been totally reasonable if it didn't wind up where it wound up. The mismanagement more than anything else led to this point. 
when you have the, the allegations that Northwestern had, you have to change the culture. Yes. Do you have to change the head coach to change the culture? And Iowa, they didn't. Now, also, I don't know that Iowa was real invested in changing the culture. Iowa just kind of swept it under the rug. And there's a part of this that as badly as Northwestern mishandled it, in the end, they didn't let the coach get away with these these things that they said multiple multiple players said happened, right? And at Iowa, they did let them get away with it. They fired the strength coach. They kept Kirk Ferentz. And now when you think about the way that Kirk Ferentz has consolidated power and hired his kid and, you know, they have a great defense and a terrible offense that holds them back, Iowa might have been, I think, would have been better off making a move for the health of the program. You think we can't fire this guy. But when you have a guy who who is exerting control and the culture's not right, you can't be afraid to get rid of him. So I do think in the end, as poorly as Northwestern handled it, at least they made a move. Iowa, like, let Kirk Ferentz do his thing. So anyway, I think there are lessons to be learned here, but this is a bungling. This is a bungling by an administration, and so it becomes two things in one. But we can't lose sight of what the what the main thing is, which is very serious allegations that an investigation said, yes, people said this happened. But could you have changed the culture without changing the head coach? Hey, we're going to suspend him. We're going to get everybody trained. We're going to have people in here. We're going to do this. But we believe he can change. We must change. We will change. But we believe that includes Pat Fitzgerald realizing his mistakes, turning over this program. We don't have to change the head coach to change the culture. Changing the culture was an imperative that had to be done. And as it turned out, once you bungle it, on step A, then step B is like, well, we feel like we have to fire him to do it. So anyway, that discussion will continue. This is, you know, Pat Fitzgerald is gone. He's announced that he's has counsel. We'll see how that works out. But um, we did want to touch on that a little bit. When we come back, though, we need to talk about down well, the road. Let me, Wait, let me first uh, you do my off the radar. Yeah, yeah. No, no, go I'm not going to Wrigley. No, 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 I'm not going do you to like the, Do you like the Bears? <laughs> do you like the Cubs? Do you like watching football in a baseball? I, I, I don't really have a baseball team. Like, I kind of casually do the Rangers. Uh, I, I very actively, like, I want to like the White Sox, but they're owned by Jerry Reinsdorf, who owns the Bulls, who I despise. So I kind of mm. just, I can't do that. Um. I've said, uh, I don't know if people look, we can, we can go back and talk about my, my Asian Kings. Uh, a couple days ago, the MLB draft happened and out of Tampa, Florida, the, the Toronto, uh, Blue Jays drafted Arjun Nimala, who is actually one of the first players of South Asian descent ever drafted, joining Kumar Rocker last year. But the other part of it is that he is from the same city in India that my wife's family is from. So maybe I'm just a Blue Jays fan now. So, you know, there, there's nice. that factor. Yeah, yeah. We're, nice. we're excited. Somebody said I need to pull up to media days uh, wearing his jersey. Here's, here's the issue. I don't know if he's for sure going to sign because would his parents be happy with him not getting an education? I don't know the answer to that. Oh, yeah. No, I take the money. You can always go back. Take the money now and go back to college if it doesn't work out in baseball. All right, so what is your game, Shahan? Yeah, for me, I'm really looking at that Purdue-Wisconsin game in week four. I think this is going to be a very informative game for both of these programs because you've got two first-year head coaches, uh, a program in Purdue that is coming off of a high, a program in Wisconsin that's coming off of a low, but also went very different directions with their coaching search. Obviously, Luke Fickle, one of the top 10 coaches in the country. Ryan Walters, a really good but unproven defensive coordinator. So, 
I really like this game. I think it's going to be pretty informative. The quarterback battle, obviously, this is after my own heart. SMU's uh. Tanner Mordecai versus Texas's Hudson Card. Are you kidding me? Like, that, that's, uh, I'm all about it, man. It's, it's about time that the Big Ten West got some real quarterbacking in there. And, uh, I think this should be and a really doesn't fun every game. Young, doesn't every young Texas boy grow up <laughs> dreaming of playing in the Purdue Wisconsin game? That's I mean, l- listen, I know that, uh, when Hudson Card was growing up and going to Lake Travis High School, the same one as Baker Mayfield, by the way, uh, that he was just dreaming of the opportunity to move to West Lafayette, Indiana. That's that was what he always wanted growing up as a, I assume, fairly well-off kid at a really good high school in Austin. Drew Brees is from Texas too, so like it's okay. That, that's the first I'm hearing of this. But he went to the yeah. rival high school. He went to Westlake. That's where Kate Klubnik went. Look at you. Yeah, come on, come on, come on. I, I do love when we dive into very specific <laughs> Texas Tanner, high school. Tanner talk. Mordecai also. Uh, from from Waco, Texas, by the way, he was playing high school ball when I was uh, when I was at Baylor. So he was like a name back when I was uh, <laughs> when I was around. He, but he's like from like the suburb, like outside of Waco. He is what it's called. So anyway, do you want me to go further into this? Because I can do it. I do not. I would be curious. Do you know if they have a Dunkin Donuts in Hewitt, Texas? That would uh, be I think they do. If they don't, they should okay. definitely have one in Waco. But I, I'm not a Duncan guy, man. I don't know. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. All right. When we come back, <laughs> we'll wrap up this podcast, possibly without any more donut talk. Who might be a contender in five years in the Big Ten that isn't? Now we'll do that next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Doug and Shahan back. My team that is not a Big Ten contender right now that will be in five years is USC. Who's yours? Is that cheating? <laughs> All right, well, I didn't cheat. Uh, I, I decided. So I'm going to interrupt you because I actually have a question because I'm curious where you're going. When we think about the three, the big three that we've mentioned, we think about USC and UCLA coming into the Big Ten. We talk about what Wisconsin has been, and I think we have to – Wisconsin has been a contender. They haven't made the playoff, but they've been in the mix before. Sure. I wonder sometimes, right now, who else has a playoff ceiling in the Big Ten? Iowa and Michigan State have brushed up against it briefly, right? Iowa-Michigan State in 2015 made a, played a Big Ten championship game that was a play-in for the playoff. Michigan State won a very close game. Michigan State's been to the playoff. But like right now, I thought this was actually a difficult question because some other conferences, you can look at a school like Miami or you can look at a school um, maybe like Texas Tech or you can look at a school. You know, there's so many teams in the SEC that have potentially just need to get the right coach. I think it's a more difficult exercise in the Big Ten, actually, Shahan. So I'm curious to see where you go. So, uh, yeah, let, let's do this real quick, actually. So in the 14 team current Big, uh, Big Ten, when we're talking about a 14 playoff. I think that there are exactly three teams who have a ceiling of it. I don't think there's any more. I don't think Michigan State can get there. I don't think Iowa can get there. I don't think Wisconsin can get there as currently constructed. Now, again, we'll see if if Luke Fickle turns it into something different, but it would have to be something different than what it's been. Um, USC certainly belongs in that group. I don't think that UCLA does. I don't think that we've seen that before. Now let's shift it to the 16-team Big Ten and a 12-team playoff. And, and let's just run down the list quickly, right? I'm, I'm going alphabetically by division. Indiana, no. 
I, I don't think that there's like, like we saw it for a second in 2020 because there was a pandemic and they apparently had a quarterback who was so much better than anybody realized. And I, I still don't know if that's even enough to get into the 12 Maryland. Like a lot of these things you're talking like, maybe they could get the 11 seed, right? Like that's the level that we're talking about here. So like, I'd lean towards no for Maryland, Michigan, yes. Michigan State, yes, is a top 12 team. Uh, Ohio State, obviously. Penn State, yes. Rutgers, no. Illinois, probably not. Iowa in a top 12, I think, yes. Minnesota in a top 12, maybe. Like a peak, like a, like a rare, like a super high peak once every eight years. Yes, yes, yes. Which, like, that's going to be the fun thing, by the way, about the 12-team playoff. Yes, is that I think that, like, a a great season will be rewarded with a first round game. And that's fine. I mean, that's great, frankly. Um, I'm going to skip one team for right this second. Uh, Northwestern. Uh, I mean, under Pat, it was maybe. I, I'm very curious to see long term what this program is post Pat Fitzgerald. Because, for example, I think a good comparison for this for a lot of reasons is Stanford. And Stanford mm. had their guy. I, I'm I'm kind of conf- putting Harbaugh and Shaw together. They obviously were very intertwined. So now they're going in a different direction. They hired a, a relatively young, exciting coach in Troy Taylor, who I'm actually pretty excited about. And I think he actually is going to have some success there. If they hire a coach like that, uh, one name that people are already throwing around a lot is Brian Hartline. I'd be I'd be into that. Yeah, I, I figured. But, like, I'd be into that. Uh, if they hire, like, I saw somebody say, like, Paul Christ. Or if they hire, yeah, yeah. Like, they got to hire somebody who does something different or fun or engaging in some way. If they were to hire Willie Fritz, I'd be in on that, right? So that hire, which probably is not going to come this year. It's probably going to be an interim, and then they'll make the hire next year. Since we're talking about it again, Jim Trestle at Ohio State was forced out on Memorial Day in 2011, and Ohio State went the interim route with Luke Fickle that one year. Like we're in July, we're in July. So again, counterpoints. We, we could go, we could go full Jim Grobe, baby. We could go full uh, 2016 Jim Grobe coming up. No, but that was that was very much an interim coach situation where they were like, we're, we don't trust any of y'all assistants. Where's, where was that with Jim Grobe? That, that, you, that was at Baylor. You are, see, oh, okay. Because, like, you're making Jim Grobe. See, this is your Baylor institutional <laughs> well, knowledge. You don't have, you don't have <laughs> Jim Grobe institutional knowledge? Okay, so the story was. You're just doing, like, Grobe talk. You're doing Grobe talk on a national college football show, and I'm assuming everybody's riding along with you, and people are like, who, who would that be? What, what about John L. Smith talk? Does that, does that track for you guys? I don't know. Like, I don't know what's normal. I'm weird. Like, I, I have so much dumb knowledge about this stuff. Like, I don't yeah. know. The players are trying their hardest and the coaches are <laughs> screwing it up. That's John L. Smith. That he, he was the Michigan State coach. That was it. Okay. Anyway. Yes. So, so just to, to be clear, the Jim Grobe situation, Jim Grobe, a really, really, really successful coach at Wake Forest in the 2000s, actually won the ACC, I believe, in 2007 uh, at Wake Forest, which like, and Dave Clawson, also like incredible stuff. Like this doesn't happen at Wake Forest. But when I believe the time I was, Art Riles was fired on May 25th, 2016. And, you know, for obvious reasons, they weren't the most excited about having an interim coach coming from that staff. 
And uh, they kept the staff around just to get through the season. And they hired Jim Grobe basically, and he just did it like as a favor to Grant Taft, the old legendary Baylor head coach, who's like uh, the dean of the AFCA, basically, and and beloved, all sorts of things. So they brought him in to be a caretaker, essentially, because he was already retired and such. So that's that's what was going on there. I don't know if that's what they're going to do now at Northwestern. I don't. I mean, again, the the comparison between Baylor and Northwestern is not remotely the same, obviously, in terms of what happened. So I, I think they could be more comfortable promoting uh, an internal coach. Maybe, maybe uh, Chris Collins is is the next interim coach oh. at Northwestern football. It'll be great. Be <laughs> but great. yes, Mer- Darren Rovell, Doug Maurice. Maybe, maybe he's the uh, interim coach at Northwestern. Maybe it goes great. Who knows? So I'd be great at motivational speeches <laughs> and bad at everything else. <laughs> I mean, I think that's they went one and eleven last year. I think you'll be okay. Uh yeah. but I I think that all that to say, I, I don't think that this program probably has the playoff ceiling even long term, but yeah, I'm excited to see if they can figure something fun out and like engaging out and figure out something that fits their identity. Cause cause Pat Fitzgerald's was a zag in a lot of ways, right? Like he was, it's a comparison maybe to Kirk Ferentz, but he is like a hard-nosed defensive guy and in a college football world that kind of wasn't doing that the same kind of way for a while, and it worked in a, in a big way. So I think they got to figure out a different zag now. I think it probably needs to be a little bit more offensive than than in years past. But uh, I'll be, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see, like Northwestern's a program that I have a lot of, affection for and i think that they deserve to get it right well just real quick anyway 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 yes 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 uh wisconsin yes obviously they they have the potential to be a top 12 team purdue i think in up years they do i will be curious to see them post brom because that was kind of like a moment and uh i think they made a good hire in ryan walters so we'll see we'll see let's go back to the team Mm. i skipped yeah. And also USC, UCLA. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think USC much more than UCLA, but yes to both. Let's go to Lincoln, Nebraska, baby. Let's, let's make another connection. Let's make another uh, Texas connection, man. I, uh, I can't stop doing it. The Big Ten finally realizing where the best football in the country is played, the state of Texas. So I'm sure that's going to make people very happy in my Big Ten preview. <laughs> so they hired, they hired Matt about Donuts and Jim Grobe. <laughs> For like 30 minutes. So it's okay to say Texas. It's okay. (laughs) Grobe nuts. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we went way all over the place with our ACC preview. So honestly, this is more on track than what what we did yesterday. So Nebraska, they hire Matt Rule. And I want to be clear. I am by zero means saying that Tommy Frazier in Nebraska is coming back. That is not what anyone's saying. That's not what anyone's claiming. Success, you know, the Nebraska is back. That's not winning two national championships in three years or whatever, right? Like, that's not what we're saying. But I do think that Nebraska under Matt Rule could take up a similar place, and I mean this in a complimentary way, to what I was been over the last 10 years or so, where they are a consistently competitive team in their good years, they're pushing for 10 wins in their bad years, they're winning seven or eight and maybe every so often they have a true up, right? Like we had the, the Iowa number four undefeated heading into the big 10 title game here. I, you know, I I think that that's something, uh, and and they weren't a team that really could 
beats an Ohio State or a Michigan, but that's not the point. That's not what we're going for here. Matt Rule is a really great program builder. Uh, uh, you know, si- since we talked about Jim Grobe, I guess we can talk about the next head coach at Baylor too. And he obviously tore it down to the studs in his first season, going one and eleven. Similarly, went two and ten at Temple his first seasons. But then he was able to build it up, find an identity that worked for him, uh, find a roster that worked for him, and. I think like Matt Rule is just so good at doing the little things right. And we've already seen it. He is, uh, I, I was looking at the recruiting rankings. They just got the number two player in the state of Nebraska, which means that they have commitments from the top four in the state and five of the top six. That hasn't happened since 2019, which is crazy, but it hasn't happened since 2019. They have not owned the state of Nebraska in a long time. They're going into Texas in a different way. They hired some, uh, they hired actually a sitting Texas high school football coach in a Joey McGuire like role. Uh, Bob Wager is his name. I think he coached at Arlington Martin, uh, not too far from me. And uh, they hired, <laughs> you want more? I, I can give you more. You can't, uh, help <laughs> can't help it. You're like, I think their student enrollment is 1300 and I believe they offer 11 AP core. Like, let's we're going to play like name that Texas high school at some point on this podcast. It's, it's great, man. I'm I'm loving it. I don't know. I got no problems with it. Uh, but, you know, so so a really well-respected Texas high school coach, he actually hired the executive director of the uh, Texas high school. No, 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 of the UIL. Sorry. As his chief of staff. What's the UIL? What's the UIL? Oh my gosh, that's true. <laughs> See, this is the thing. What's this is the thing UIL? about not working at Dave Campbell's anymore. It goes to all of America. You realize it goes to all of America. Texas is so, not an independent nation. The, <laughs> so, so this is the 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 athletic director of the UIL, which is the University Interscholastic League, the group that runs Texas interschool competitions. So, like the the person who's in charge of not just high school football, but like. All extracurricular activities, are, essentially. Are you trying to be that? Is that what you want to be? Is that why you're dropping this stuff in here? You would be no, great no, at no, that. No. Not that you're not a very <laughs> fine college sports reporter. I want you in charge of all extracurricular activities in the state of Texas. You yes, would be yes, fantastic. Yes. Just so people know, we had to take a little break. <laughs> we wake up. We do this in the morning. Our hair's sticking up everywhere. We're wearing glasses. We're half asleep. And then Shahan went and did like a video hit thing. And we came back to finish the podcast and he's wearing a sport coat. He's wearing a a crisp dress shirt. And I'm just completely intimidated. And he looks like a little businessman. He's like, I am here to run the UIL. And I'm still half asleep with donut frosting on my face. So it's thrown me off that I am now, I feel like I'm in a business meeting and you're dropping all these Texas acronyms on me and I'm confused. I mean, come on, we got to up our synergy, man. Uh, so all that to say, all that to say that the real thing that matters here is Matt Rule has a specific plan for how he's going to try to recruit and develop. Right. It, it's not let's just do the best that we can where we can. It's here are the places we're going. Here are the relationships we're building. Here are the people who I'm going to center my approach around. Nebraska also definitely fancies itself, uh, fancies itself a national recruiting program. They don't just want to be typecast in one place or another. And I think that Matt Rule already has done that at a high level. Now, football-wise, again, this year's probably going to be kind of rough. I would bet the under if I were betting on Nebraska this year because that's what Matt Rule does in year ones. But 
he is just a program builder. People are going to think back to his NFL stint and be like, well, he sucked in the NFL. Well, this is not the NFL. This is a different kind of job. And he has been wildly successful at both programs that he's been a college football head coach. So I like the fit. I think that there's going to be a place for them in a 12-team world. Obviously, some of this is going to be dependent on year-to-year schedules and who they get and who they miss. Uh, like, I don't think that... Well, let's put it this way. At their best, they're they're not better than Ohio State. They're not necessarily better than Michigan. But I don't think they have to be. They have to be a 9-10 to 10 win type team in good years. And I think that's enough to get them into at least the 12-team conversation in several years. And I think you make a good point. Nebraska doesn't have to be Ohio State or Michigan. But if it can be the best version of Iowa, and frankly, their ceiling should be should be still higher than Iowa unless we think those days are gone. But when you see what Matt Rule is doing, lock down the state, first of all. Get all the best players in Nebraska. They have the best high school quarterback in Nebraska committed in the 2024 class. Then where else are you going for talent? Once, whenever When Nebraska joined the Big Ten, it was like, this will be interesting because if they can retain their Texas recruiting and somehow bring that to the Big Ten, and it felt like they weren't able to because their identity changed. You go from being lumped with Texas schools to being lumped with Midwestern and Eastern schools. I thought maybe Nebraska would come into Ohio a little bit. You know, when Bo Pelini was there, Bo Pelini is an Ohio guy. And I think they got caught in between. But you look down, they just got a commit from Ja'Cory Barney, who's a top 500 national player. He's an athlete from Florida who also had made official visits to Miami and Texas A&M. And he's a Florida athlete picking Nebraska. So they are doing things in Texas. They are doing things in Florida. And they're locking down the borders of Nebraska. That is a great three-pronged approach. The question is, does that ceiling still exist for Nebraska? I think maybe with the, you've just seen it since Tom Osborne, Frank Solich wasn't Tom Osborne, so that wasn't good enough, so he was gone. Then Bill Callahan had a couple of years. Then Bo Pelini wasn't Frank Solich. So then Bo Pelini was going nine and four or 10 and four a year. So that wasn't good enough. Now he's gone. And then once you got the Mike Riley and Scott Frost, I think in a decade, they went nine and four once. Bo Pelini went nine and four of a year and it wasn't good enough. Now Nebraska would beg for nine and four. You're outlining the case for nine and four. Like they yeah. would kill for nine and four. So they've just right. leaked. They've been leaking. And the question is, has the ceiling changed or did they just have a succession of hires where nobody could reach the ceiling that still existed? I think the answer has to be Nebraska. I'm not a yes. thousand percent sure, but I think Matt Rule is going to answer the question because I did think, well, if Scott Frost can't do it, can anybody do it? And then I think it turned out Scott Frost wasn't as good of a college football coach as we thought, his UCF uh, success notwithstanding. Matt Rule is much more established as a college football coach than Scott Frost was, even though Scott Frost won a fake national championship at Central Florida. Hey, 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 that's Big 12 national Uh, champion UCF to you. I know, I know, I (laughs) know. So like that, don't you think like, I don't, if Matt Rule can't do it, then maybe it can't be done. Right. Is that where we would be with this, that a guy who won at Temple, won at Baylor, has a recruiting plan? Okay, we're going to find out what the real ceiling of Nebraska is. So I think that when you look at coaching 20 years ago versus coaching today, I think the biggest difference is the level of organization that you need to have as a coach. And Scott Frost is a good X's and O's on field football coach. And that is so irrelevant in this day and age. That's a tiny, tiny thing. You you have to do it. You can also hire people to help you do it, right? Like, I don't know if Matt Rule is an especially awesome X and O's football coach. There were times where it felt great. There were times it didn't feel that great during his time at Temple and Baylor. But like, again, it's secondary. Hire people who are good at that. And 
he is so organized. He has such a vision. He's so good at building relationships with the right people, meeting the right people, making the right people feel good about themselves. Uh, he's a great recruiter. I think that that's only going to continue to grow. This class is probably going to be in like the 20 range. Like it, there's some high end, there's some mid range or some low range in this class. I think those continually trend upwards uh, as he continues to build a brand and relationships at Nebraska. So I, I just think that Matt Rule is a very modern college football coach. And I'm excited about what he can do there. By the way, yes, Bob Wager coached at Arlington Martin. And by the way, do, do you know who that means that he coached when he was in high school? No, no, I don't. You don't know who came from Arlington Martin High School? Oh, my God. I don't even know if disaster. Arlington Martin is a place or a person. Okay, it's Arlington, Texas is the city, and it's Martin High School in Arlington. Uh, Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett played oh. for Bob Wager at Who uh, Arlington is Miles? Martin. No, I'm okay. Well, that was pretty that's, <laughs> Don't, uh, don't do that one. You, you're no, a I Cleveland columnist, I I man. I know you know that one. He's famous. He's good. Congratulations <laughs> to Arlington. Uh, okay, so we have, I think we agree, right? I think we agree that Nebraska has to be the answer here, but it, it is, I think it will be a really interesting test case. Uh, of a traditional power, do they still have it or not? Okay, playoff teams this year. How many do we expect the Big Ten to get? I'll let you go first because I have some problems with my math. What do you have? <laughs> no, I, I get it. I get it. So last year we had two. There's absolutely a pathway to two, but I'm going to go one. I think that when you look at 2023 versus 2022, obviously you pencil in an SEC team. I think that the Big Ten will have higher priority to get a second team in than the SEC will because I think that people have a lot more implicit credibility with Ohio State and Michigan at this point than they do with any second team in the SEC. But I think there's a very good chance Bama people, that... Bama people are coming for you. It's Bama! Come on, man. You think, you think they've on, leaked you, that much implicit you know, you know, credibility? Come on, man. Nick Saban. It's for this team, not as a program, for this not, team. I don't think Nick Saban ever coached at Arlington Martin, but he has been pretty successful. He's definitely visited there. Uh, but so, I think... Uh, <laughs> but I think that uh, I, heading into this season, let's clarify. I think that Ohio State and Michigan have more built-in credibility than Alabama will have this year. And but you still think LSU one. You still think one for the Big so, Ten is your number. So, right. So I think that there's going to be a contender that emerges from the Pac-12 that will be hard to deny. Like, I think I think a one-loss Pac-12 champion gets in over a second Big Ten team. I think that there's a really good chance that one of Clemson or Florida State are playoff caliber. So I, I just think that there are more true contenders this year than maybe there were last year that's fundamentally what it is it's not that i think that the case is better or worse but you know if usc doesn't have a caleb williams injury in the pac-12 title game then it would have been one last year and it actually gosh if if uh <laughs> if washington had not sleepwalked through the arizona state game then the pac-12 would have been guaranteed a spot last year and so I, I just think that the path is a little tougher this year to get to because I think that the top of other conferences is a little better. And by the way, like there's absolutely a pathway too for Texas to get in that discussion. Also, if they were to beat Alabama and only lose one along the way. So I, I think that there are just more playoff caliber teams this year. Last year felt like a bit of a 
down year for true playoff caliber teams. Yeah. And because of that, Ohio State was able to sneak their way in. I just think that it's more likely that that doesn't happen this year. And so I'm going to go with one. But again, this is the conference that is best poised to get to. So this is my bad math. I'm going to say two for the Big Ten, and that already takes me to five. So we agreed zero for the Big 12. I yes. think my playoff math is something like one from the ACC, four out of five, and the contenders are one from the ACC, two from the SEC, two from the Big 10. Sure. I don't think anybody in the Big 12 is going to be quite good enough, and I think there's too many good teams in the Pac-12 who will all knock each sure. other out. So sure. that's why my math is bad. I think my real answer is like one from the ACC, one and a half from the SEC, one and a half from the Big 10. But... So I, I I do think it could be a battle between the second best team in the Big Ten East who's not in the Big Ten championship game and then potentially like the loser of the SEC title game. And how does that look? And maybe even that SEC team has a second loss, but man, they played Georgia really tough and they have some great wins. And like you get into, whereas the Big Ten East, it's like, well, they have, if they all go one, one and one, I, I think it could get complicated, but I also Part of it is trying to project pathway because when we have a playoff discussion, it's that. And then part of it is like trying to project who's going to be good. And I just think it's possible three of the best six teams in the country in the Big Ten. So then that means I think they have a chance to get in two. So we have a whole like this is a long term discussion. And it is a little bit of a lack of respect for the Big 12 and a nod to a lot of respect for the Pac-12 that I think it's just I think it's going to be too tough of a path. But that's why I have two for the Big Ten. No. And and look, I think that. The funny thing about it is that in this final year of the Big Ten uh, divisionally and the final year of a 14 playoff, they have by far, I would argue, the easiest setup to get teams into the playoff. They yes. don't play a real Big Ten title game, right? They sacrifice some West team that can't hang. They obviously play each other. They're going to play each other round robin with the three good teams. So you could be looking at three 11 and one teams right. and the the champion is a lock and i think both of those other two teams would get consideration and the other part of it too is that there's not a team in the rest of the big 10 out of the other 11 that frankly should be able to beat these three teams like it should be these three teams being on another level than everybody else now that's not a guarantee that's not a lock Things happen, right? We've we've seen Purdueings before, we've seen Iowa Ings before, but like if things go the way they're supposed to, each of these teams should only have two opportunities to lose a game all season. And so yeah. and and so I th- I mean again, this isn't going to happen. But like we could be looking at a world where we've got an undefeated Georgia, three 11 and 1 Big 10 teams who are all really good. And I don't think that we get that, that. That doesn't happen. I don't think I don't think that we could get three. Are you making the case for three Big Ten playoff teams? Is that what you're doing? I'm just saying that like the Big Ten with the way that it's set up, they make the path so easy and so manageable and cater so much to the way the playoff works that it's not going to happen. But like they're the conference who set up in such a way that they can boost their best teams better I'm than putting anybody. the headline. Will the Big Ten have three playoff teams? Is the headline for the podcast. <laughs> I like where you're... Oh, man. It's an interesting oh, man. formula that you come up with. So let's go to... If there for the 12-team playoff this year, would it be three, though? Yes. Is that the number it we'd would be come three. up with? I, I don't see... 
Wisconsin being able to break into a top 12 right away. I, I just I, I don't see that fourth team. I, I don't see one that can be all that close. Now, again, getting three teams and and even when we get to a 12 team playoff long term, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen is that the SC and the Big Ten are going to take every single at large spot. And I, I just don't really see that. I think that realistically. There might be years where there's a fourth team from the SEC that finds a way and like obviously, look, USC is going to be added to this group and that's going to be something. But like I just it's going to be hard to get more than three teams in, I think, more years than not. But the Big Ten is going to get, I think, three teams in almost every year. Is your shorthand for the 12 team playoff? Is this the shorthand? You have six conference champs, right? Yes. And then there's six at large spots. So then the at large spots, two from the SEC, two from the Big Ten, and then two more from a combination of the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big 12 and Notre Dame. Like, so then, then the total is right. Three from the SEC, three from the big 10. Like, is that, is that the shorthand there that the gap might be that large where the SEC and big 10 are both sort of assuming three every year. And then the other conferences are hoping they get a second, but in some years might only have one. Yeah. I I think that that's about right. You know, like if you look back at the last little while, I mean the, for example, I think the big 12 would have had two a lot of years if we had a 12 team playoff. I think that the ACC would have almost never had two. you know, it would have been Clemson and Clemson alone. A lot of these years, if yeah. you look back. So I do think that's the shorthand. Um, look, I think that the big 10, <laughs> again, the, the big 10 is such a weird conference to talk about because you are like, let, let's think about the 16 team world. We're talking about like four awesome teams. And then like, Hey, maybe Minnesota will have a good year. You know, like it's oh, know. it's just it's just like that's what we're talking about. But that's the way to make the playoff. Yeah, top it is. heavy is the way to be. No, it, it is. is the way it to is. Be. Congratulations to the Pac-12 for having a lot of nice teams between 2016 and 2022, and having nothing to show for it. Yep, for real. So, and and that they're taking right. I mean, they just get more top heavy. They're adding someone else to the top with USC. Right. Right, but it's still going to be they're expanding the top, but really it's still going to be a top heavy conference. And, that's and then the Oregon State is going to ruin everything for yeah. the Pac-12. Like it's it's wild. So that's our Big Ten preview. That means that we have the Pac-12 left to do. So look for that around the corner. For now, make sure you're reading CBSSports.com for what Shahan has coming. We always appreciate you guys making the College Football Survivor Show part of your week. For Shahan Jaharaja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. 